It's my pleasure to be here again. Uh, just here a few weeks back and uh, share with you from uh, the first portion of Genesis. Tonight, I'd like to have us look at Genesis 3, Genesis 3, verses 8 to the end of the chapter, verse 24. And I bring you greetings from our church in Manistee and uh, thank you for the prayers for us and the work going on there. We uh, are still meeting remotely. Uh, not able to meet uh, in person. This week we're going to go look at a building, so we covet your prayers for that. Uh, if it'll be the Lord's will, maybe we'll be able to find another place where we can worship and uh, meet face to face once again soon. But in the meantime, we're grateful that the Lord has continued to bless our, our congregation uh, in Manistee. So let's look now at Genesis 3. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 24. Hear now the reading of God's holy inerrant word. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life uh, and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and, uh, drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So far, the reading of God's holy and errant word. 
Father, Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word and in which we learn of the fall of man, in which we are also involved that we have fallen to and are in desperate need of a savior. And we pray that we give thanks that that has been given to us through Jesus. We pray for Pastor Coy now as he brings that word to us and pray that you'd bless him as he preaches that word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one scholar, pastor, scholar said this, said, there's nothing in modern contemporary thought that is adequately able to explain human nature except for the truths of Christianity. People have forsaken that the Bible might contain the answer of the human dilemma. And I think that's exactly right, right? I mean, things fall apart. What reasons do people have for things falling apart for things that they would call mistakes or errors or tragedies, which often involve something from sin and the fall of mankind into sin. And ultimately, the dilemma between God and man is unreconcilable apart from Christ. And yet, the good news is that there is hope for us in in Christ. And even in this passage here with all the, the downside and the, the fall of man into sin and man having to leave the garden. Uh, there's good news in this first gospel message of the Bible. Well, everybody has sin. Everybody's born with it. The Bible clearly teaches that. Uh, we're born in sin. We call this original sin. Sin that began with the first man, Adam, after he fell into temptation and has passed along to all who follow after him. Of course, only one who's never sinned, and that's the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but in Romans five twelve, Paul tells us this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so the old saying that human nature is good or is uh, fairly good or basically good is not accurate at all. Uh, No, thankfully we're not as evil as we could be, but we are sinners who need to be reconciled to God without the grace of God and the love of Christ, we would have no hope at all. So human nature is not basically good. The problem with the world is really us, our hearts. We've strayed and erred and fall short of the glory of God. So we're part of the problem just as those around us. It's our sin that's the issue. The Bible addresses our sin and the cure for it. And so there's hope for sinners, as we see in our passage today. God's grace is found even in the midst of a curse, in Genesis 3.15. God's grace is found even in the questions he brings to Adam and Eve, and then as they're banished from the garden. There's grace here as well. Well, God did create the world, and he did create it without sin. Uh, He created work, and work was... Good. Uh, Hard for us to imagine that, but now we see why it's more difficult after the fall. Thorns and thistles accompany work. Marriage was created before the fall, and it was good, not marred by sin. 
Men and women were created in the image of God and still are today, and yet don't have the same condition that they did before the fall because of sin. And so Adam and Eve fell into sin as they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just before they did that, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Now they're naked and they're ashamed, and even more so, they're hiding from the Lord. So let's look at three uh, points this evening. The first is that sin turns us inward. Secondly, that there is curse and there is blessing. And third, that there is hope for exile. So first, that sin turns us inward. If you look at verses 8 through 13, you'll see that the shame comes immediately after they eat the forbidden fruit. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they, they turn inward. They, they seek to hide from the Lord, uh, and the Lord God, this, this name, this covenant name for God, uh, he uh, comes to them in their nakedness and shame. Before the fall, there was no shame when they were naked. After the fall, they try to cover themselves with the fig leaves that they find in the garden. And of course, sin always brings shame. Sin always brings guilt and shame. And so God calls out to Adam and he says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Sin always brings shame. Why is Adam Ashamed, well, he knows he's transgressed the law of God. God said, you can eat of any tree of the garden but this one. And he knows he's failed. And so instead of coming forward and saying, here I am, God, look at what I've done. I've failed you. He, he hides. He runs and he, he hides. He's hiding because he doesn't want God to know what he's done. He's ate of the tree. And remember, Satan said to Adam, if you, if you eat of that tree, you'll be Godlike, you'll know good from evil. Well, it didn't bring Adam hope at all, did it? It just brought him shame. And so this nakedness exposed him for what he was, a, a sinner. Uh, the Bible uses the word naked often in uh, it's, uh, the right context as guilt and shame. And here it's, of course, spiritual guilt and shame. They wanted to be like God, but yet doing what Satan told them to do, of course, they were going against God, not being God-like at all, but godless. And so they seek to hide, but God seeks them out. They try to hide, look at verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Of course, interesting on many levels, you know you can't hide from God. He knows all. Uh, and yet, uh, where do they hide? They hide in the trees. They use fig leaves to cover themselves, and these are the same, this is of the same type of variety of tree, uh, perhaps that they uh, ate off of. We don't know that, but it could have been. But the whole irony is, of course, they're hiding in the trees. They're hiding in something that, of course, God can see right through. God can see the heart. 
Psalm 139, verses 2 and 7 says, you, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Where shall I go to, uh, from your spirit and where shall I flee from your presence? So God comes graciously saying, where are you? Where are you? He wants to draw them out. And thanks be to God, he seeks out sinners and he calls them to himself to faith and repentance. Notice uh, that Adam addresses God here and he, he speaks back to him, but of course he doesn't speak as one who is going to be forthright. He tries to blame others. We'll look at that in a moment. But Adam and Eve are, are focused on, on self and, and hiding. You see, sin is often about keeping control, saying, I've done nothing wrong. Uh, I'm not to blame. Someone else is to blame or something else is to blame. One writer put it this way. He said, this self-focus and shrinking from God remains part and parcel of our fallen condition. No one seeks God. Everyone flees from God. Is that what Paul said in, in Romans 3? Uh, no one seeks after God. In fact, our, in our sinful nature, what's our attitude? It's to, to run far away. Adam and Eve's problem was that they wanted to be God-like. They wanted to be autonomous. They wanted to be a rule to themselves. See, sin does turn us inward. It turns us in towards ourselves and away from God, the creator of the uh, heavens and the earth. And so Adam is addressed by the Lord God in the garden in verse 12. Uh, And as he's questioned, he gives this answer. The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Wow, doesn't Adam own up to his sin? He, He says, yeah, hey God, here I am, I did it all. No, he says, what does he say? First of all, he says, uh, no, the, the woman, not just the woman, but the woman you gave me, God. Eve, remember her? The one that I just expressed all my love to? Now, look at what she's done. She's given me this fruit. It's all her fault. In fact, no, God, it's all your fault. You created her for me. Why did you do that, God? Why did you give her to me? Just a minute ago, In chapter 2, he's rejoicing over the fact that he has Eve as his wife. Now instead of owning up to his responsibility in this matter, instead of guarding the garden, uh, he says it's all her fault. He says, in essence, your life to enhance mine. In other words, uh, it's about me, and if you do anything against me, I'm going to throw you under the bus, so to speak. And so Adam doesn't own up to his sin. He makes excuses. He wants to seek to justify himself and blame somebody else for it. He tries to justify the situation and say, no, if it wasn't for Eve, this wouldn't have happened. Well, then we get to Eve, and Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
In other words, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. She doesn't own up to it. She simply passes blame to Satan. Of course, Satan was to blame in tempting them, but not to blame in making them sin. They sinned out of their own desires. And so both Adam and Eve try to justify themselves and try to make someone else take the blame or look bad. So what do we learn from this self-focus? Well, if we turn inward, we're not turning to hope at all. We're turning to hopelessness. If we're trying to justify our sin and our actions and make excuses and looking to hide, we're not doing what would bring us hope and salvation, but the complete opposite. It's only when you turn to the God of mercy, the one who sent Jesus into the world to save sinners, and we look to him for forgiveness and righteousness and grace that we can have hope at all, hope in the saving work of Christ. And thanks be to God that he seeks out sinners. Now, just think about this. If he didn't address Adam and Eve, where would they be? Well, they maybe would still be just hiding. But God, by his grace, draws them out. He calls them and he asks them questions. Well, secondly, uh, let's look at this idea of curse and blessing. God speaks a word of judgment and yet a word of hope. And the temptation that started with Satan, and then it went to Eve, and then it went to Adam. Satan says, uh, you know, you shouldn't listen to God, basically, you should listen to me. He's trying to hold back things from you. And Eve says, yeah, uh, Satan, you don't have it quite right, but I think what you're saying makes some sense. I'll try some of that fruit of the tree. And then Adam comes along, and he just eats what his wife gives to him. And then in the curse, we have Satan as curse first. Then uh, we have the punishment given to Eve and then to Adam. And so we look at this order. We see that God addresses Satan first. There's no hope for him at all. No hope of recovery. No, Satan uh, will be ultimately defeated. There's going to be a war God says, between the seed of the the woman, the seed of the serpent, but the seed of uh, the woman will overcome. And of course, that seed is none other than Jesus. So he'll be at war with the seed of the woman. And so Satan is cursed and is going to be ultimately defeated. And of course, we look forward in the book of Revelation. This is exactly what we see. He's thrown into the great abyss. He's done away with, cast away for all eternity. And so God says you're, you're going to uh, have your head crushed or bruised, uh, and it's none other than the Lord Jesus who will do this. Through the line of Seth, the line of Adam and Eve, uh, after Abel dies, Seth is born, and through Seth's line will come the Christ child. And we read of Paul's words in Romans 16.20, the, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What great hope there is in Christ that he will soon crush Satan under his feet.
So there's hope for sinners, but no hope for Satan. There's only war that's going to be waged against him. And, and yet he's going to try with all his might to bring as many down with him as he can. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we're not against, or at war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Well, then we move to Eve. We see the punishment on Eve, verse 16. Uh, the, the woman, or to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So two things God says. First, you're going to have pain when you uh, give birth to children, Eve. Secondly, you're going to have trouble in marriage. Now, Eve, of course, didn't know how this was all going to play out, but he, she would soon know. Uh, Cain is born. She feels the pain. Same with Abel and Seth and so forth and so on. And still this day, of course, pain and childbearing, trouble in marriage. God said, your desire shall be for your husband or your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. It's not going to be uh, a paradise wedding and marriage. No, there's going to be trouble. Trouble in marriage. Your desire will be for your husband or shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. The woman will want to rule over the man and the man will abuse his power instead of the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. And the woman submitting to the rule of the husband, it's going to be hard and difficult. One writer put it this way, said, The woman at her worst would be a nemesis to the man, and the man at his worst would, domin would dominate the woman. And of course, Paul in Ephesians says that in Christ there's hope. Hope for marriage because uh, it's a picture of Christ in the church. In Christ, there's hope. Husbands love, uh, can love their wives as Christ loved the church by looking to Christ. And wives can submit to their husbands by looking to Christ. But there's going to be trouble in marriage. And then to Adam, he says, you're going to have a hard time working now. And of course, we all understand that if you've ever had a job, whether it's a part-time job, you worked for a few hours, or you've worked for 30-plus uh, years, you know about the thorns and the thistles. You know about uh, the, the trouble at work with your boss or with coworkers or with machines that break down. So he says to, to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, Work is hard. Work is difficult. If you've ever planted even a small garden, you know how uh, long and hard it is just to get the plants to, to grow and then after that to weed it and to take care of it. 
But also God says, not only will your work be hard, but you're going to go back to where you came from. Remember, Adam's from the dust. He's going to die. And God said, if you eat of that tree of the, uh, the knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. Now, they didn't die immediately, but God says, you're going to die. You're going to return to the dust. So death will come. Physical death will come. But thanks be to God that even in these difficulties in marriage and childbearing and work and facing death, that there's hope for uh, us as Christians. There is trouble and pain and suffering in the world, but of course there's good news in that Jesus has come into the world and has overcome the world. By God's grace, he's saved sinners by sending Jesus to overcome the world. So sin turns us inward. There's curse and there's blessing, but there's also hope for exiles. Look at uh, the last portion of our text. They're banished from the garden, Adam and Eve are. God now sends them out of the garden. This was actually for their own good. Uh, he, he sends them out because if they eat of that tree of life, then... Uh, they're going to die without any hope at all. Uh, they're not going to die uh, with the hope of eternal life. So God guards them from that in his grace. And Adam even sees a promise of hope in verse 20, or at least believes in the promise of hope in verse 20, and he names his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now if you go back to verse 15, you'll see that there's this reference to uh, the seed of the woman. Now, maybe Adam was already putting hope in that promise of God, saying, God, you promised that there would be one who come that would bruise the head of the serpent. Whether or not that's the case, we know indeed that Adam did call his wife Eve the mother of all living. And soon she would give birth to Seth, who would then come the line of Christ. Well, God does remove them from the, the tree of life. Uh, God seeks them out in the beginning of the passage by calling to them. He doesn't want to destroy them, but to save them. And so he removes them from the tree of life because if they eat of it, they will live forever in death and never in eternal life. What we see, I think, in this passage, or at least what we ought to see, is not only the fall of man into sin and the curse, but the hope that there is in the fact that God calls sinners to himself, to faith and repentance. Jesus came in the world, and in Luke 19.10, he says this of himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so the tree of life represents communion with God, and when that communion was broken off, there's only hope in one that would come, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would live a perfect life, never once sinning against his father, but only desiring and only doing his father's will all the way until the cross. So Jesus restores communion with the father, Restores sinners back to God the Father in perfect communion. 
Revelation 22.14 says this, says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Now think of some of the words in that passage. Blessed are those who wash their robes so, they may eat, so that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Robes, tree of life, gates. Well, in a minute we're going to talk about covering. You can say that's a robe. God covers Adam and Eve through the sacrifice. The tree of life now, God's people in Christ can eat of that tree because they're restored to a right relationship with God. And now the gates aren't to keep us out, but to keep us in. They may enter the city by the gates. They can go through these gates. So what does God do? Well, at the end of our passage, he gives a covering. He covers Adam and Eve in this sacrifice that he makes uh, for them. He takes an animal, as it were, in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What did Adam and Eve need more than anything? They need to be covered. The same is true for you and for me. We need to be covered. Uh, we try to hide, but that can do us no good. What we need is a, a covering, but we can't provide that covering as hard as we try. If we try to justify ourselves, we end up with no covering at all, but we're exposed. You see, we need what only God can provide and what we cannot provide for ourselves. You see, fig leaves won't work. Only God can provide the covering we need. Victor Hamilton in his commentary, he has this helpful thought. He says, the first is an attempt to cover oneself. The second is accepting a covering from another. And he's speaking of the first being the fig leaves. He says, the first is man-made and the second is God-made. Adam and Eve are in need of salvation that comes from without. God needs to do for them what they are unable to do for themselves. Thanks be to God that he seeks and saves the lost, that he gives them a covering, a covering, of course, which is only the, the shed blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Another writer put it this way, he says, with the sentence given, God does for the couple what they cannot do for themselves. They cannot deal with their shame, but God can, will, and does. To be clothed is to be given life. Both creatures or excuse me, but the creature cannot clothe themselves, nor finally each other. So what do we need? We need a covering. We need a righteousness that is not our own. We need the righteousness of Christ. Paul would say in Romans 4, 7 and 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The question is, are you covered in the righteousness of Christ? You see, Jesus 
would come to the earth to save sinners of whom we are the foremost, but he would give his life as a sacrifice to cover us in his shed blood. Jesus would be given the, the fatal blow, but he would be victorious in the resurrection. Jesus says, it's my life for yours. It's all of grace. He says, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to lay my life down to cover you. He's the ultimate sacrifice. And if we had more time, we'd look at the end of uh, this text where uh, these uh, cherubim are placed and how they really symbolize the, the fact of, uh, that, that God is protecting Adam and Eve, but also how it points forward to the, the temple and the holy of holies and ultimately Christ. But what we find here is both sad and bad news that sin is in the world, but good news that a Savior is coming. And he's going to clothe his people, not in the righteousness of their own, but in his own righteousness. And in the end, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And in that new heavens and new earth, there will be the tree of life. We'll be clothed in the garments of Christ in his righteousness for all eternity and praising and worshiping him there. And there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more pain. There'll just be Christ in his glory. And he'll be the light. There'll be no need for light, for he is the light. So the question for you and for me this evening is, who is the one that's covering us? Are we looking to Christ, or are we looking for something else to cover us? You see, if we're looking to something else, then there is no hope at all. But if we're looking to Christ, there's not only hope now, but hope for all eternity in the righteousness of Christ. I'll close with this. There's a song called His Mercy is More. And the first line of the song says this, says, What love could remember no wrongs we have done, omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins they are many. His mercy is more. Let's pray. Father, we're th so thankful that in Christ Jesus we have a covering that is not our own, but is the, the only covering that will do, and that's the perfect and finished work of Christ. We pray, Father, we'd go and tell our neighbors and uh, the nations the, the good news that there is in Christ and in Him alone, that there's salvation in no one else. We pray, Father, by the work of Christ in our hearts, through the Spirit, through the Word, that we would seek to live for your glory and that we would trust not ourselves, but you and you alone and the righteousness that comes alone from Christ. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you that you've come to seek and save the lost. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.